morning I want to put our lesson this morning in context and in a sense go back and just talk a little bit about the journey we're on. We've been on this journey now since the beginning of January and we're going to be on it really through May. So I want us just to be aware of where we're going. On a Friday night in, in January, Pastor Casey and Aaron, myself, our overseers, sat down. And the question we asked was this. What, what is it that God is asking us, do we feel, to focus on this next year if we're going to fulfill the vision that God has put before us as a church? And the vision, by the way, is, is really quite simple. It's on the back of your bulletin each week. But really what, what we are designed to do is to be relevant to this community and beyond by just engaging our lives in the heart of God, which is to reach people in this community and beyond. That, in a nutshell, is what our vision is about. It's about us devoting ourselves by becoming engaged in serving our community and beyond. There were four things that the Lord brought to us as we talked that night. Four things that are going to be a focus in this coming year. And you've perhaps heard these before, but again, just remind us of what they were. Number one is to align all of our teams with this vision. We want every team in the church asking the question, how can we be relevant to our community and seeking and reaching out into our community? How can we engage our people? So that was the first one. The second goal was to meet the financial challenge that we have to do that. We brought on Pastor Casey and Jen and we have no doubt that that was God's leading in our lives. We have financial challenges this year, and so that was the second thing. That's what this God provides card, and, and what we're asking our people to do is all about. And by the way, we believe that God is going to provide. The third thing that we talked about was that had to do with the stars you see on the back wall, and we were just dreaming. What would happen if, if each one of us just came before God on a daily basis and said, God, could I put, could you use me to put one star up on that wall this year? Could you use me to reach just one person in this year? If you were to bring to mind some person I would pray for and reach out to, what would happen if, if we laid that request before God and laid ourselves open to fulfill that in this coming year? And then the fourth one was that we wanted to deepen our walk with Christ. Deepen our walk with Christ. During the first four months of this year, January through May, we are talking, I am focusing on that last focus that you see up there, deepening our walk with Christ. And the reason I'm starting there is because everything else flows out of that. Jesus put it this way, he said, abide in me. He said, if, if you will, he said, if you don't abide in, if you don't abide in me, you won't do anything. You can have a lot of activity, but you won't accomplish anything for my kingdom. If you will abide in me, he said you can do anything. 
And so it just sounds like a pretty important place to start. So we're talking about a walk with Christ, abiding with Christ, communing with Christ, being connected with Christ. There's lots of words we could use to describe it. Now this morning we have all kinds of people here. There may be people here that, that have never even heard the basic gospel story, that God who created this world came into the world and gave his life on that cross for, for our sins to save us. For some people in this culture, that is a new message some have never heard. Maybe there are some here that know all about the cross. They know about Jesus. They know what Jesus did on the cross. They know Jesus died for their sins. And, you know, James says the devil knows that too. But have never opened their life up to receive the person of Christ and begin a personal relationship with Christ. You know, for some people, it's this knowledge out there and it's like, okay, now go live a good Christian life. Try and adjust your lifestyle. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is entering into relationship with the person of Jesus Christ who then changes your lifestyle. Who then brings a new power into your life that was never there before. In fact, Jesus, in talking with the woman at the well, said, or Nicodemus, I mean, said, he said, this is like being born again. That's how dramatic it is. There are maybe some here like the prodigal who know Christ and who decide to take a different road. And you're off in a distant country and that's the road that you're on. Some are maybe like the older brother who stayed back at the ranch and kept all the rules but never really entered into this love relationship with his father. And so he was bitter about it. And then there's probably a lot of us who know Jesus and are kind of partly engaged. And, you know, Jesus is he's a, an important part of our week, but he's sort of an add-on. And we would probably fall into kind of that category of the lukewarm that John describes in the book of Revelation. And there may be some here, too, as well, who, who know Christ who have entered into a just a fully engaged relationship to whom Christ is your life. I mean, that's why you get up in the morning. That's why you go to bed at night. Our goal for all of, this, all of us this year is to be engaged in our relationship to Jesus Christ in serving and reaching this community beyond the level where we are now. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about going from a 2 to a 10. I'm talking about going from a 2 to a 3 and then a 3 to a 4. I'm talking about going to the next step in your life of walking with Christ. As we talked about what could we do as a church to help all of us do that, we, we, you know, we thought about some things and we came to an interesting conclusion. We decided we weren't going to talk about a course. We weren't going to talk about a Bible study. We weren't going to talk about anything that we were going to offer any of us. What we decided to do is to begin talking about what we need to do to feed ourselves. You know, I've had people come to me over the years and go, you know, I came to church, but I'm just not getting fat. I'm just not getting fat. And... I mean, I think a church should be vibrant and full of God's Spirit. Don't get me wrong. 
But, you know, I, sometimes I almost want, at a, at a potluck, go up and sit down and pick up a fork and, and start feeding them and say, you know, they go, what are you doing? I can feed myself. Well, if you've been walking with Christ for 15 years, hopefully you can feed yourself. Paul says it this way. He said, you know, by now you ought to be teachers, but he said, you know, you still need to be fed. And so we, we really felt that God was saying, you know, we need to teach and admonish one another that we all have a responsibility to, to spend that time with Christ and allow Christ to nourish our souls, and nobody can do that for you. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. And so we've been walking through this series now. And we, we started with, you know, that, that God desires to know you. That was the first, the first point. There's a God out there who really wants to know you. He created you for this relationship with Himself. The second thing is, He created you in such a way that you want to know Him. Whether you realize it or not, the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul is Christ. And you know, I don't know what you're trying to find that in today. Maybe you're finding it in Christ. Maybe you're looking somewhere else. It can be a thousand and one things. You know, it, it can be a thousand and one things that you're looking to try and get full inside. And the Scripture tells us that it, it's only as you find that encounter with Christ that you will feel that hole being filled in your life. So, you know, if God desires us, and, and we have this part of us that desires Him, why doesn't it happen? Well, Jesus said the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so there are all these forces that are, are pushing us away from that place that we need to go in our relationship with Christ. We live in the flesh. We live in a world that is many, in many ways controlled by fleshly desires. And so we find this to be true. Last week we looked at the critical role of obedience. You know, if we're walking in disobedience, it's really hard to feel close to Christ. And so we talked about how critical it is in our lives to have a heart that is open to obey. And how our prayer life becomes so much more effective when we have a heart that's open to obey and to respond. This morning we are going to begin, and it's probably going to take us two or three weeks, but we're going to talk about, we're going to begin talking about the critical role of faith. The critical role of faith in this whole issue of walking with Christ, this whole issue of connecting with Christ in a deep way. Now, I don't know about you, but I love object lessons. And, you know, whenever you pull out an object lesson, all the kids start watching. All the adults start watching, too. <coughs> There's just something about object lessons. And as you look at the ministry of Christ, he was always doing object lessons. I mean, think about it. If you were to go back and... Jesus was always using object lessons, and he had some pretty phenomenal ones, like turning water into wine at the wedding. That was kind of a cool thing. Uh, I always got a kick out of the one where they were having the discussion over you know, what you should give to God and what you should give to Caesar, and, and Jesus tells Peter to, to go down to the river at the end of the conversation. He says, I want you to throw your net in. I want you to grab the first fish, and in his mouth will be a coin, and you can go give that to Caesar for his taxes. That was a pretty wild object lesson. I'd like to read another one this morning, and it's found in Mark 11. <clears throat> and here it is, Mark 11, verse 12. 
Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 12. Now on the following day, or the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said this. He said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, just stop there for a moment. You know, if this is all you read of this story, you, you would almost think this is like a, a spoiled kid that didn't get his way. You know, like, like when you go to the vending machine, there's nothing in it, so you kick it. You know, Jesus goes, he's hungry, he goes to this fig tree, and there's no figs on it. Well, there wasn't anything wrong with the tree. It says right in the text that it wasn't the season for figs. And so Jesus curses the tree. And so, you know, if he didn't read any farther, you'd think it's kind of like, oh, you know, he's a stupid tree. I... And so Jesus curses it. Like you would curse something that you were mad about. But of course, we, we need to keep reading here. Well, then it goes into 15 through 19, and we have the account of Jesus cleansing the temple. So he goes right from there of cursing the fig tree into overturning the tables. It almost sounds like Jesus is having a bad day. Um, <clears throat> but, of course, Jesus had his purposes in the temple as well. And now in verse 20, it, it jumps back in. And... Jesus jumps back in and we begin to see now it begins to enlighten us to, as to why Jesus did this thing with the fig tree. And what we realize here early on is that this was an object lesson that Jesus was using. So, verse 20. He says, In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the ruts. That's very important because when they came back the next day, this tree wasn't just starting to fade a little bit. It was stone dead right from the roots. And so something obviously pretty miraculous had happened to kill that tree that fast. And so Peter remembered what Jesus had said and said, Rabbi, he says, look, the fig tree you have cursed has withered. And then Jesus gives the point. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I don't know about you, but I have a problem with that. Does anybody else have a problem with that? Okay. Um, let me tell you why I have a problem with that. I'll just give you one example. And that there are this, I mean, this example is just one of thousands of examples. This comes from C.S. a comment by C.S. Lewis <coughs> a few years ago. He writes, I was at a conference when an opportunity was provided for the sick. 
to be ministered to. At one point, I became part of a ministry team that was going to pray for a dear woman in a wheelchair. She'd obviously been in that condition for most of her life. Her legs and feet lay lifeless against her chair, in which she spent most of her time. After several minutes of boisterous prayer, one man told the woman she ought to take off her shoes and stand up. Because they had, they had claimed this verse. She said, oh no, I can't do that. The man replied that she would not be healed unless she did. Finally, they persuaded her to follow their instructions, and with great effort, she tried to stand. When it was clear that it was not going to happen, the small ministry team transitioned quickly with impersonal comments about her situation. The final word one guy offered, offered was, you just need to have more faith. And then they left her barefoot in her chair. I had to control my attention at this point. Part of me wanted to have those dudes arrested for spiritual abuse. I regained my focus and simply sat with the woman for a few minutes before I helped her with her shoes. With tears streaming down her face, she shared with me how this was not the first time that this had happened to her. Feeling very awkward, yet somehow privileged to be with her, I listened to her story and quietly prayed. It became incredibly apparent to me that I was with a real woman of faith and a real warrior in the kingdom, perhaps like the Apostle Paul, who the Lord would require to live with a thorn in the flesh. This wounded disciple would serve her Lord from her wheelchair. Well, that's just one of many examples. I mean, Jesus seems here to be making sort of a, a blanket statement. And so we have two options here. We can either go online to skeptics.com and include this as one of the verses that prove that the Bible isn't true. Or we can say, you know, maybe there are some other verses that we need to study in order to understand here what Jesus is really saying. The first Sunday of this year, Pastor Casey shared with us a message. And the point of his message was, you know, with God, nothing is impossible. So how do we deal with this issue of faith as to nothing's impossible, if you have faith and believe it will happen, and all the things that we often pray for that don't happen? I mean, how do we shore up these radical statements that if, if we have enough faith, you know, we can do anything, and yet the reality that our prayers don't always happen. We can begin to read the qualifiers, and there are many qualifiers as we go through other verses, and pretty soon we, we get through the qualifiers, and we almost feel like this statement is like that's, that thing that comes up on your computer screen that says, congratulations, you've just won a new laptop. We all, we all know what that means, don't we? So is that how we're to look at this verse? This morning I am probably going to create more questions than I'm going to answer. But that's okay. Over the next two to three weeks, I, I want to bring us into some, some primary things here that I think are very important for us 
to understand and to know a very powerful truth. And in, in just a very simple way, here's the truth that I want us to hear this morning. And it comes out of this text from Mark 11. What Jesus is wanting us to understand is that faith and prayer are a whole lot more powerful than we realize. Okay? Jesus said, and sure, he was exaggerating the point, but Jesus is making a statement here when he says, you know, you can pray to this mountain to be thrown into this sea, and if you have faith, it will happen. Jesus here is trying to break through to his disciples that there's an amazing amount of power in faith and in prayer. And so we're going to begin to look at that together. Jesus here is trying to move his disciples, and I believe he's trying to move us to a different place of understanding. So this morning, in, in these last, we're going to take about ten minutes here, and I'm going to ask you three questions. And then we'll conclude, and then we'll pick it up again next week. Three questions I need to ask you. Three questions that will allow us to begin to realize some of the reality here of what Jesus was talking about. And these questions will not allow you to stay where you are. I love Blackaby's statement, you can't go with God and stay where you are. And so here's question number one. Number one, are you willing to live an abnormal life? Are you willing to live an abnormal life? Because faith is about going on beyond the normal. Faith is about seeing and living beyond normal. We get so used to seeing things as normal, we think that's reality. And yet, we understand and God's always telling us, there's another whole dimension. There's a whole spiritual dimension out here in our world and in our lives. You know, God spoke this whole... Well, we see, you know, we, the, the sun always comes up. Well, the sun didn't always come up. There was a time when there was no sun. But we just think that's always been normal. 